0: Colossians 3 verses 1 17. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature sexual immorality, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Well, thank you, James, and good morning,
1: everyone. It's great to see you all here this morning. I want you you keep that passage open and just take 30 seconds of quiet in your own heart just to reflect, and um, maybe if you want to pray quietly in your own heart and ask God to help you this morning, then uh, take this time to do that just while we get ready. Great. Well, can I uh, begin with a question this morning? This is a question to everyone. A um, question that I'm sure you've asked at some point in your life. If you haven't, it's worth asking. The question is, what difference does your faith make? Or, or what difference does faith in general make? I wonder what you would make of that. Uh, if you're a Christian believer, there'll be times in your life where you need to ask that question because it will cost you to be a Christian and you have to ask, why do I believe what I believe? What difference will it make? Uh, If you're a visitor, perhaps you're not trusting in the Lord Jesus for yourself, it's still a really good question to ask. Uh, If I was to put my trust in him, what difference would it make? Because if it's just something that affects some of the things I think and maybe affects what I do on a Sunday, but doesn't really impact the rest of my life, personally, I wouldn't bother. I really wouldn't. But if the demands of the gospel go deeper than that, it's really, really worth thinking about. Uh, Wellesley's already spoken about this uh, picture, a uh, picture I showed you last week um, when we were looking at a passage in Romans chapter 12. And it was that command to keep our spiritual fervor, as Wellesley was just explaining. But one of the things I said about this boiling pot is if someone looks at that and they see the water bubbling away, they see in the steam rising off it, they would be forced to ask, something's going on. And I challenge us to think, is that true of our life? That if someone was to look at us as a follower of Jesus, they say, what is going on? There's something happening, there's something real about that person's faith and I want to know what it is. Well, the book of Colossians, we're jumping into the book of Colossians now because it's sort of a a series where we're not going through a particular book of the Bible. And we're jumping in, so rather than just look at the verse straight away, I'd love you just to have your Bible open. I just want to show you four verses that will help you to sort of trace where the verse we're looking at comes in this whole letter and hopefully it will help place it. So if you've got a Bible there, the first verse is chapter 2, 6 and 7. The book of Colossians is really all about transformation and 2, 6 and 7 tell us about a decision that every human being has an opportunity to make which is to put Jesus Christ as Lord. It says so then just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord continue to live in him rooted and built up in him. So to become a Christian requires a decision. You don't, you're not a Christian because of a family you were brought up in or a culture you lived in. It's a decision. Then jump forward to chapter 3 verse 1. What you see is that if you make a decision for Jesus, he gives you a new life. You may not look physically different, but he gives you a new life on the inside. It says, verse three, uh, chapter 3 verse 1, Since you have been raised with Christ. And there's a phrase that says, you have been given a new spiritual life by him. Keep going, you get to chapter 3 verse 10. If you've been given a good new life by Jesus, he describes you as having, being a new person. It says, doesn't it, chapter 3, verse 10, putting on a new self. You become a whole new person. And then the last verse I want you to look at is chapter 3, verse 17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, calling you to a new lifestyle. So that's really the big picture of Colossians. Uh, You make a decision for Jesus, he gives you a new life. He makes you into a new person and that transforms everything you do in your life. That's really the joy of being a Christian believer. But I guess one of the big questions you'll have to ask if you put your trust in him is when it comes to transformation, what difference does that make over this very difficult subject of forgiveness? And there's our verse that we're going to be thinking about. Forgive one another because God forgave you. Well, to be able to forgive, as we're going to look at in this passage, three things have got to happen in each of us. And to help us to grasp what these three things are, I want you to cast your mind back to your morning routine. Three little pictures, and here's the first one. You have to get washed, don't you, when you get up in the morning. The first assumption for this passage, if you're going to be able to forgive, as we're going to look later on, you first of all have to have been washed. It says there, forgive as the Lord forgave you. The type of forgiveness that Jesus is calling us to in this passage will only be possible if we first have experienced what it means to be forgiven by God. So we have to think about that and not just assume it. Do you know that there's a loving God who created you, who wanted to be in a relationship with you, but you have become separated from him because you want to live life your own way? Do you know that that creates a big problem because God is perfectly just and he has to punish that rejection of him. It's the only right thing for him to do, which leaves you with a big problem. But do you know that he loves you? Do you know that he is absolutely committed to bridging that gap to bring you back into a relationship with him? Now, I've given you those questions in the second person because they can be quite direct. Do you know that? But I very much am speaking into myself. Do I know that? And all week I've had to grapple with these truths. Do I really know that? But Paul assumes that if we're going to forgive as we're commanded to in this passage, first of all, we have to be washed. God has to have done a work in our heart to enable us to forgive. Second assumption, next thing you do in the morning is you get dressed, I hope. You wouldn't go to work and not be dressed. Well, here are a few verses from a book in the Old Testament that's describing the people of God. If you're listening on the tape later on, it's Deuteronomy 7, 6 and 7. I'll just give you a moment to read those verses on the screen. These are verses that God spoke in the Old Testament to describe how special His people were to Him. And then the Apostle Paul, in our letter, takes those words and he picks up some of the themes. Can you see there? Speaking of God's people, they are chosen, holy, dearly loved. And he calls people who are special to him, who belong to him, to get dressed. You see there, it says in our verse, doesn't it, clothe yourselves. And I've given this illustration before. If I clothe myself in a black cloak, I would look like someone wearing a black cloak. If I clothe myself in a Batman outfit, I'd look like a idiot. idiot. Well done, some of you remember. I've given that uh, illustration a few times. If I clothe myself in Christ, what do people see? Do you see And that is what he's calling us to here. And it says, clothe yourselves in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. They're very relational qualities. But they're qualities that lie right at the heart and character of this person, Jesus. So the more that I'm clothed in Christ, the more these attributes will shine forth from me. So you get up in the morning, you get washed, you get dressed, and finally you get to work, don't you? Simply, when you've grasped the depth of how much God loves you, and the significance of the new clothes that he places on you, then suddenly the whole of your life takes on a whole new significance because the work you're called to, not just paid employment, but your whole life, flows out of those two core truths. So, what I want to do, given us that foundation, is look at three questions that this passage poses to us What does it mean to forgive? What might it look like for me to forgive? And what difference will this make? As I do this, I'm very aware this is a very difficult subject. For some, this is a very subject that's very raw, right at this moment, because you're really battling with this. For others here, this is something that is digging very deep because it's something you've had to deal with your whole of your life. Forgiveness isn't an easy subject, so I'm not assuming that you can just think about a passage and suddenly have grasped it and then walk out of here and it'll all be okay. Forgiveness is both an event, a decision, it's also a process, And so we need to give each other space and time to respond to the things that hurt us in our life. But what does it mean to forgive? Look at that verse there, 13. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I guess one of the natural questions that then poses is how has He forgiven me? How has He forgiven me? Just reflect on some of these things. They won't catch many of you by surprise, but they're worth considering. God has offered forgiveness to all of us, and it's a full forgiveness. You know that lovely verse in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 1? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who've trusted in him. There's no condemnation. He's forgiven us fully. You know that word you see in the Bible, justified? It's a legal term saying, not guilty anymore. It's a declaration that God makes of you, not because you do not have any guilt, but because Christ has carried the guilt for you if you trusted him. You think of the words of Jesus on the cross, it's is finished. They are unbelievably powerful words because he's saying, I will fully forgive any of you. Second thing about how God has forgiven, I think it's remarkable that he keeps on forgiving. Sometimes when you have to forgive someone and it's a repetitive thing, that can be incredibly difficult, but consider your own life for a moment. How much does God continue to forgive you for the same thing? If I was to list down on the screen, there are a few things I'm aware that God will be forgiving me for regularly. It's pretty embarrassing because they're pretty regular. Here's a third thing that's remarkable. He forgives us even though we don't deserve it. Remember that beautiful verse in Romans chapter 5? Uh, it's while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. And here's a fourth thing. His forgiveness is never reversed. He never forgives us and then later, when we mess up, kind of brings up the subject and then reverses what he's done and says, now actually, I remove that forgiveness from you. There's a lovely verse, isn't there, in Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. When you stop and dwell and think about how much God has forgiven you, or you look in at the gospel and you think how much God wants to forgive you. There's a real depth to that, isn't there? I think when I spoke, I think my third or fourth talk here at Long Crendon when I first arrived was on this subject of forgiveness. And I used a little term that came up in a book on forgiveness called emotional wealth. What the writer was doing was he's was describing a position where when you feel so, so deeply loved and secure in God, he sort of grows within you a wealth. It enables you to be generous with forgiveness, even when it's not deserved. And think about it. When you're hurt by someone, that creates a debt, doesn't it? And the question then, the decision you and I have to make is, will I take payment? That person who's hurt me will pay. Or will I make payment? Will I offer forgiveness? And I think sometimes we become so familiar with the gospel, we actually take for granted the extent To which God has forgiven us. And then begrudgingly withhold forgiveness from other people. The reason I wanted to give you those pictures at the beginning about getting dressed, getting washed, getting to work. Is that if you haven't experienced the love of God in forgiveness in the gospel. It's not possible to forgive like this. I'm not saying it's not possible to forgive. Of course it is. Everyone can forgive whether you know Jesus Christ or not. But if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't experienced this forgiveness... The depth to which you can find forgiveness for someone who's deeply hurt you is only found in here. How much forgiveness can I dredge up in my heart? But when you've experienced a forgiveness that runs far deeper and it's become so real, God is growing within you an emotional wealth that means that you can forgive in a way that is not normal. You could forgive in a way that runs far, far deeper than a person who doesn't know Jesus. That's one of the things that's so wonderful about the gospel. It runs so, so deep. What does it mean to forgive? It's hugely costly. And it costs God his only son. But a really practical question, because I guess this is where the rubber hits the road. Maybe you know all of that stuff that I've just been sharing, but what will it look like for you to forgive? What will it look like for me to forgive? What I want to do is paint for you four little scenarios using four pictures of four people. I think these are four typical scenarios. And maybe if you can relate to one of them, it perhaps will help you. The first scenario is where you've been hurt by someone, you've expressed to them they've hurt you, and then they can acknowledge the wrong that they've done, and they ask you for forgiveness, okay? So here's Paul. He's a businessman. He works for a medium to large company. It turns over about £21 million a year, so it's quite a successful company. Um, In one deal alone, last year, he managed to secure £7 million worth of business in one deal he was a superstar. He was working in a team. Someone on his team lied about the influence that he had had and his friend had had. And this person got all the credit. His name was Mark. And Paul suffered because of it. Mark got the promotion. Mark got all the praise. Actually, it was Paul's deal. He was gutted. Paul went to Mark and explained, it was not fair of you to treat me like that. You know that what you shared with the boss wasn't fair, It wasn't true. You really hurt me. But then Paul forgives him. I think one of the most difficult words any of us could ever utter is the word sorry. Think about the last time you hurt someone. It's unbelievably hard to say sorry, isn't it? You have to dig so deep to find those words. It's actually also unbelievably hard to accept someone when they actually genuinely are sorry. Because every bit of you wants to sort of drag them through the dirt, make them feel worse for what they've done. Here's a few things that I brought up last time I spoke on this subject, and I I read these once and I found them really helpful. Perhaps you might. To truly forgive means there'll be no revenge. I'll never bring up that issue with the person who's hurt me again. It means no gossip. I'll never bring up that issue with another person. You can imagine if Paul forgives Mark, completely dealt with, and then Paul's having a coffee with James. God, James, you wouldn't believe what Mark did to me the other week. No, if he's been forgiven, he's been forgiven. You don't bring it up with someone else. And this is the last one. No bitterness. You don't bring it up with yourself. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How has he forgiven me? Well, he's forgiven me when I didn't deserve it. And when someone comes to you and can acknowledge the wrong that they've done and ask for your forgiveness, it's never right to withhold forgiveness if it's genuine. But here's a second scenario and probably one that's more painful This lady is called Iris. This is a situation where you've been hurt and the other person shows no remorse. This can be unbelievably painful and difficult. Iris is um, a bit older than in this picture. She had three children. Her husband died of cancer in his early 40s, so she effectively was a single mum. They had children a bit later. And she brought up her three children on her own. Really difficult life. Her oldest um, became a single mum as a teenager, very troubled background. It's kind of slightly off the radar now, has very little contact with Iris. The middle son, very faithful. The youngest son has got caught up in the rat race in London. He's earning a ton of money, has no time for his mum. His mum now is getting older. She's struggling with ill health. She desperately needs her children to help her. And she's explained how much she needs their care and love. But they don't get it. They don't see the hurt they've caused. They're not really bothered. The middle, the middle son is interested, but the older daughter has gone off her own way. The younger son's just too busy. Iris is hurt, but the people who've hurt her aren't showing any remorse, not doing anything about it. Why is this particularly hard? Because when you've been hurt, you're screaming for justice, aren't you? And rightly so.
0: That's not fair.
1: They've hurt me and it's costing me. I'm having to pay and they're not acknowledging the hurt that they've caused. It's not fair. This is where we need to understand that forgiveness is not so much a feeling as an act of the will I said earlier it's both an event and a process because we have to make a decision in our mind I will forgive and then it may well be a process through a long period of time particularly if the hurt that's been caused and the person hasn't sought to reconcile it digs deep and it continues to dig deep and the repercussions live with you for days and there are people in this church for whom that is true and it's not easy Remember, forgiveness is not excusing what has been done. Remember, forgiveness is necessary because there has been wrong. But here's a, here's a theological truth. It's a bitter, swill to, uh, a bitter pill to swallow. And as I said at the beginning, it's not that you just hear this truth and then, oh, I've got it, it respond. Sometimes these things have to be worked through in your heart. Sometimes we need help to pray through these things. But think about the cross, That wasn't just either. And yet Jesus still forgives us. Sometimes it will cost you to forgive another person because that person doesn't show any remorse and it can dig unbelievably deep. Remember Jesus' words on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They don't know how much they've hurt you. They don't know the extent to which this is causing you deep pain. But the challenge is, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Well, how has he forgiven you? The third scenario, here's Kate, she's a teenager, is when you've been hurt by someone, but they don't know it. Have you ever ever experienced that? Now I guess the easy thing to do here is just to let it go because you don't really want to cause a scene. Uh, Kate had uh, three friends. They were a really tight-knit group of four. They went to primary school together really close. Uh, When they got to uh, upper school, secondary school, three of the girls discovered boys. At the age 15, three of the four have gone off with their boyfriends and not deliberately meaning so, but they've kind of pushed Kate out of the picture a little bit. They spend all their time with their boyfriends. They only ever talk about their boyfriends. And she just, because she hasn't got a boyfriend, feels a bit left out and she gets hurt. They're not deliberately doing it, but Kate's been hurt and they don't realise it. What does she do? Well, the easiest thing for her to do is just to be let it go. It doesn't really matter. But the problem is, that's probably going to grow within her a kind of bitterness and resentment. And it might grow within her a kind of touchiness. And they're very little things, but they all add up. And eventually she explodes over something completely stupid because she's got this bitterness dwelling in her. The right thing for Kate to do if she's been hurt but another person doesn't realise it is to go to that person and say can I just share with you why you've hurt me? I don't want to make a big deal of it but you have hurt me and if I could explain it it would really help me and perhaps we can sort these things out. Well that would be a good thing for us to do. Forgiving someone in, a, in your heart is also important. Sometimes it's not actually possible to reconcile in a relationship. That's always the ultimate aim. It's not always possible. But forgiveness isn't just something that affects a relationship with someone else. It's also an attitude in my own heart that says, I may not be able to have a relationship with this person, but I will promise to forgive them in my heart. Because if I don't, that bitterness will grow within me and cause great hurt later on. Sometimes there are very difficult situations, perhaps uh, situations of abuse. Being a Christian and being called to forgive doesn't mean that it's right for you to stay in an abusive relationship or continue to get rolled all over if you're being hurt by someone or manipulated by someone. It doesn't mean that at all. And Occasionally, where reconciliation with an individual is not possible, it's still possible, though, to forgive that person in a heart. We always want to aim for reconciliation wherever possible. But we need to be realistic... And anything which puts you or I in danger or in risk of things getting worse isn't necessarily right. And we need to think that there are different levels of forgiveness, there are different ways of forgiving. And we need to be sensible about that. But we are called to forgive as he has forgiven us. And he has forgiven us fully. He doesn't count our sin against us and nor should we count it against those who hurt us. And the final scenario, perhaps it surprises you, Why don't you put yourself in that little box on the screen? There are some people who live with such a deep sense of shame of something that they've done wrong that they can never actually forgive themselves. Have you ever thought about that before? I know quite a lot of people who have not been able to forgive themselves for a genuine mistake that has cost them, has cost people near and dear to them very, very deeply. But they've never forgiven themselves. And the problem with that is that they're saying of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, it wasn't sufficient. And I'm going to pay for what I've done as well as what you have done. Do you remember a few weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago, I gave you a little challenge. Will you let God love you? And if you're a person who's racked with shame for something you've done, you need to let God forgive you. You need to allow his love to transform your heart so that you can let go of the mistake you've made. Because he wouldn't want you to go through life not forgiving yourself in the same way that he doesn't want you to go through life not forgiving another person. Well, final question. What will all this achieve? Well, I guess at one level, it will protect you and I from bitterness. That's very important. At a bigger level, it will help us to restore unity and relationship. And that's always what we want to strive for with an individual. But I don't know if you notice in our passage, the whole thrust of this passage, the whole context in which it's set, is a context of unity. Do you see there verse 14? Have a look down. Over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful What the Bible is teaching us is that the aim of forgiveness isn't ultimately a ceasefire just till the next time when you go at it again. The ultimate aim of forgiveness is a restored relationship. And if it's not possible for that restored relationship with the person who's hurt you, it's always possible in terms of a restored relationship with God. And that is what we should all be seeking. But why unity? Why unity? Partly because it's one of the best ways to reflect the character of God. God exists as unity in diversity. Father, Son, Spirit, but one. And we are a diverse group in church, but we are one. And it's very, very powerful when we're able to forgive because it's a reflection of him. Secondly, unity because it's the best way to honour him. Do you notice verse 12, which we looked at at the beginning? You are a chosen people. If you've been forgiven, you're special to God. Not because there was something in you that was special that meant he forgave you and not someone else. But he has set his love on you and he's enabled you to ask for his forgiveness. And in that sense, you've been chosen. He's called you to himself. You've become a daughter or a son of his. And he wants you to forgive as he has forgiven you. And finally, unity, because it's the best way to proclaim the gospel to a broken world. Remember that picture of the boiling pot? If that wasn't boiling, it was just flat water, you'd look at it and go, it's just water, it's not doing anything. But when people who don't know Christ see in this church community people loving each other and forgiving each other, particularly when it really, really costs, when it really hurts, they'll see this water bubbling up. They'll see the steam, they'll see the movement of water. And they'll say, there is something very powerful that is enabling that because left to themselves as human beings, there's no way they'd be able to forgive like that. But the gospel is enabling something that is not normal. And that is a very powerful witness. Friends, I know that forgiveness is difficult. I haven't experienced what some here have experienced. For some of you, forgiving will be far harder than some of the things I've lived through. But forgiving is very, very important. And it's because it's not deserved which means that it's so powerful When it's granted, I want to end with a quote from a philosopher called Mark Twain who once said this. You might have read this before Forgiveness is the fragrance a crushed violet sheds on the heel that crushed it. It was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. Therefore, friends, let us forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven us.